Hey everyone, welcome or welcome back to the Ghost Mind Yourself podcast. I'm your host, Jen Green, and here we like to learn about reconciliation, land back, and how to be a good ally to Indigenous peoples. We also like to shit on Trudeau, so if that sounds like fun to you, then hit subscribe so you can join me every week for a new episode. Ghost Mind Yourself is an independently written and produced podcast that brings you weekly decolonial education with upcoming Indigenous guest hosts from across Turtle Island. And when I say independent, I mean me. So if you want to show me some love, here are two ways that you can support this Land Back podcast. First, head on over to Apple Podcasts and give Ghost Mind Yourself a positive review. It's free for you, but it really helps the podcast reach more people. Or second, if you're looking for something more involved, I have a Buy Me A Coffee account, which is kind of like a Patreon account where you can donate monetarily to help keep this Land Back podcast producing decolonial content every week. There are options for both one-time donations and options for monthly or yearly memberships. That page is also where I post free downloadable and shareable content, and it's free to follow. You can find me at buymeacoffee.com forward slash smudge yourself, and the link will be in the show notes. Whichever you decide to do, or even if you're just sharing this podcast with a friend to spread the word, merci, mede, thank you, and let's get this party started. What's up, fellow aunties and uncles? First of all, I want to say thank you for being patient with me and my absence over the last couple of weeks. I've had very severe mental health issues compounded by a tragedy in my life, and I just couldn't keep it together. Um, In my culture, it's not safe to make or gift people things when you're in a bad mental state, so I had to keep my energy to myself, and I want to thank all of you for your understanding and support in my time away. We've almost hit 500 downloads, so again, thank you for that. I'm blown away. You guys amaze me, and I'm just excited to be able to sit down and produce content for you again. Uh, Again, sorry my energy is a little bit low today. I'm working to pick myself up because this podcast is really something that I love, and I'm hoping to be able to gift to you every week, (laughs) and when I can't gift it to you, it does depress me. It hurts me even more. Um, I also, if you hear my dog, he's snoring next to me, our mascot. Um, I also wanted to say thank you to, I hope I say your name correctly, I'm sorry if I don't, Renea, for buying me three coffees this month, as well as Adam for joining my Buy Me A Coffee community. Thank you both for the supportive messages. You really lifted my spirits at a time when I was struggling, so thank you so much for that. I really appreciate you coming over and contributing to this Landback podcast. Now, today, I finally have my first guest host episode. You saw her name in the title. It's Chelsea Bowell. Yes, the author of Indigenous Rights. I'm going to save her introduction for herself in the interview portion so she can do it in a way that feels good for her. But for those of you who don't know who she is, Chelsea is a Métis writer and lawyer, and she's also a mom. (laughs) She is a super mom. (laughs) And she works as a Cree language instructor in the Faculty of Native Studies at the University of Alberta. In today's episode, we spoke about names, which... Uh, which ones are appropriate and which ones are inappropriate for Indigenous peoples and settlers, and how the appropriateness of those names has evolved over time, as well as why they're going to continue to evolve and why they have to continue to evolve. 
Now, before we get into the discussion, I want to acknowledge one part of it where I believe there was a miscommunication between Chelsea and myself that wasn't properly addressed on my part, (laughs) and it's 100% my fault. I should have properly clarified myself and a question that I meant to ask, but I didn't. I was questioning myself and my own knowledge as well as what I should and shouldn't be saying, but I firmly believe that we say exactly what we're meant to say exactly when we're meant to say it. Nothing more, nothing less. Our spirits guide us this way. This is what I've been taught. So I conceded that I was missing information, which is proven by what Chelsea replied to me, and I didn't go back for a second. So I'll explain. There's a part in the interview where I'm asking Chelsea about what she thinks about the reclamation of the word Indian by younger generations because there seem to be two camps of younger generations that I see online. One camp is refusing to entertain the word and only acknowledging their nation's traditional names. The other camp is using the term Indian kind of as a fuck you to colonial governments and colonizers, using the term but refusing to allow colonizers to use it. Now, I want to stress before I go further, because I don't think that I made this clear in the podcast and I want there to be absolutely no confusion, I am in no way suggesting that the word Indian is even on the same level as the N-word. This will come up. But I asked Chelsea what she thought about reclamation compared to how black people have attempted to reclaim the N-word. And again, I'm going to stress they are not the same level of severity. And I can prove that by the fact that I am saying the word Indian and I'm also saying quote unquote N-word, not the actual word. (laughs) They are not the same level of severity. Um, But in the interview, Chelsea mentions the word history of the acronym NDN, which stands for not dead native which full transparency, I didn't know that acronym. I want that loud and clear. That was a mistake on my part and I own that. But I also don't think that I made my question clear enough in that I was actually asking about reclamation from a starting point of NDN, but the word I wanted to talk about in terms of reclamation at the time of the question was like full-blown Indian, but I didn't properly clarify myself and I didn't properly ask that question. So that's on me. Regardless, like I said, we always say the right thing at the right time according to the growth our spirits see on our path. And I learned the acronym for Indian, which I had initially thought was just a clever phonetic way to spell slash reclaim Indian. And I was walking around with that ignorance. So I just, I wanted to start this podcast episode by acknowledging that our spirits, our teachers, and Remind everyone to speak from the heart and listen with your heart as well. And don't be afraid to be wrong. Because if I hadn't said that, if I hadn't asked that question wrong and made myself look like a dumbass <laughs> to one of my favorite authors, I wouldn't have learned that unless I had actually like gone out and Googled it. But I can't see myself going out and Googling it because I thought I knew what the answer was. So anyway, with that, let's get the ball rolling. Let's listen to the interview. What's up, fellow aunties and uncles? Welcome back to the Ghost Mud Yourself podcast. I'm Jen Green, and I have with me Chelsea Vowell, the author of Indigenous Rights, one of my favorite books. And if you guys have been listening to my podcast for a little while, or even if you just listened to episode two, you know that she wrote the first book that I recommended to you guys. I've recommended this book to everybody. I've bought several of these books, like copies, handed them out. (laughs) I own three copies myself. I own the audiobook, the ebook, and the paperback. So welcome, Chelsea. 
Um, before I pass the mic, sorry, I just want to quickly do my own land acknowledgement and then I'm going to go ahead and open up the floor for you to do your traditional introduction in a way that uh, feels good for you. So on my end, mm-hmm. I am recording and producing this podcast on the traditional and ancestral land of the Sunaimach First Nations. So thank you to them for hosting me and the mic is yours. Hey, hey. Um, so Chelsea Val Nitsigason, Igua Mantusak Aigenik, Otinia. So my name is Chelsea Val. I'm from Lac Saint Anne. Maga Ewigian Uta Amasquatsi Waskaigenik and So I'm living in Edmonton, which is in Treaty Six territory and part of the homelands of the Metis Nation. Um, and yeah, that's uh, that's it. I'm Metis. <laughs> I don't know what else to say. I uh, I also always mentioned that I have a lot of daughters and if I sound exhausted and start babbling that that's the reason yeah, yeah. and I, I already mentioned this to Chelsea but I should mention it to everybody else oh you might hear my husband come in now um, <laughs> um I'm also struggling through a pretty severe migraine right now but if I just called off everything every time I had a migraine I would get nothing done so um yeah if you guys seem to notice like a change in my energy or if I had kind of struggle over my sentences that's why and of course we have our mascot finn shaking around and grumbling so you'll probably hear him in the background as well um but yeah welcome chelsea and uh yeah let's just jump right in this is an episode that i've been extremely excited about because uh we're always kind of twisting and turning and uh jumping around dancing around names um so Mm -hmm. this episode is inspired by chapter one and chapter two of your book, Indigenous Rights, where you address some of the acceptable and unacceptable names for Indigenous peoples and for settlers. And that's my preferred term as well. I know, at least at the time of writing your book, that was the term that you were using. And I'd be interested in um, also knowing if that's changed for you, if you're you're still using the term settler. Um, But yeah, when I decided that I wanted to record this podcast to educate my listeners on names, I knew... I had to first reach out to you and hopefully get you on the podcast. So I'm excited to have you here. Um, and I am going to warn you, I am a talkative brat. So <laughs> I'm going to do my best to right. pass the mic today. But um, yeah, so so maybe we'll start, uh, as I said before, let's, let's start with Indigenous peoples. Um, and we can go through and talk about like names that are unacceptable um, and names that are, are acceptable. And I... I have a question for you at in and around one of them about reclamation, uh, but we'll we'll get to that when we get there. So I have your book mm-hmm. pulled up with me right now, um, and I have the list of unacceptable terms, and I'm going to read them out. And obviously, this is not exhaustive. Um, there are so many derogatory terms out there that we, we would go on forever. Um, but the list just in the copy that I have, we have obviously savage, red Indian, redskin, primitive, half-breed, squaw, brave, buck, and papoose. Um, I want to throw in the word Indian, although it is contentious because that word also kind of falls into acceptable. Um, And I find that it's kind of a generational thing. Also, like a country thing or 
depending on whether you're Canadian, American, and also a legal sense, right? Because um, when we talk about the Indian Act, you have to use the term Indian if we're if we're talking about legislation, because we are referred to uh, me being First Nations. Sorry, I don't. I, I did clarify that with you in my email, but I am First Nations, <laughs> um, so I'm technically an Indian so far as the Canadian government considers me. Um, but a lot of First Nations peoples don't like the term Indian, obviously, because it, it does have a negative connotation. So I'd be interested in knowing, like, where you stand on that in terms of, like, whether that should fall into bad or good or how, how do you feel about that? Yeah, I think it's a, I think it's an internal term, right? Like even on that list, half breed, a lot of Métis, especially, and and yeah, it is a generational thing. A lot of older um, Métis, for example, will be like, no, we're we're half breeds because that's what they were called, that's mm-hmm. what they call themselves, and so they don't want somebody else telling them how they can identify. And absolutely, um, people will identify themselves as Indians, and that's totally fine um, if that's an internal term that's being used. I think I think the problem comes in when people use those terms and apply them mm-hmm. externally. Um, so yeah, Indian is a is a legal term. It's a term that is used within the community. Some people don't like it um, and that's fine. Uh, but I think it, it is it is a term to be used cautiously because if you're going to apply that to people, then you're probably going to mm-hmm. get pushback even from people who use it mm-hmm. themselves will be like, no, you don't get to call me yeah. that. <laughs> it's just one of those, it's one of those yeah, terms. Yeah, exactly. Right? And, I, and I 100% agree because... Uh, Again, like I'm holding on to the reclamation question, but we'll get to that in just a second. Um, Like the term Indian, obviously, again, like when we talk about legislation, it is a term that we kind of have to hang on to because the Indian Act, despite it being a colonial piece of legislation, it is the, the, the domineering piece of legislation that is used to govern how Canada interacts with Indigenous peoples even today in 2021. So we can't just toss out the term Indian. (laughs) Um, But having said that, like Mm -hmm. I know several older First Nations peoples, or sorry, First Nations people um, who do call themselves an Indian. But having said that, Mm -hmm. if a settler were to walk up to them and call them an Indian, that's an insult, right? Yeah. And it's usually meant that way. That's the thing too, is that's, it's been weaponized that way. So it is, it's, it's, it's like calling Mm -hmm. yourself native as well. You might not want somebody else saying that to you, um, you know, but like people will call each other these things and it's it's fine in that particular circumstance. Yeah, and it's it's interesting too. So there's kind of a movement. I know, um, I guess if we, if we kind of go over to your list of the acceptable names um, and I'll read them out and then I'll kind of go on to my question. So the list of acceptable names, and again, like this varies, this is, uh, it's, it's very hit or miss and you have to approach acceptable names on a person by person basis. But um, obviously on this list, we have Indian NDN, which is more of like a hashtag or a social media reference. Um, Aboriginal, not Aborigines. Indigenous, Native, First Nations, Inuit, Métis. Native American, which is more uh, American, obviously. And then of course, the preferred method of naming would be the nation name, right? Or the traditional name. Mm-hmm. Um, but something that I have kind of noticed online with the rise of NDN 
is this reclamation of the word Indian by younger generations. And I seem to notice, like, Mm -hmm. again, on social media, there's two camps of people where you have... um, you have one group of people who are super against it um, because, again, as each generation gets further and further away from uh, the advent of the Indian Act, the uh, acceptability of that term becomes, you know, it, it's contentious. Like, we don't like that word. It's it's um, a derogatory term. So you have one group that is very much against it and is like, no, like, call us by our traditional name, which I'm, I 100% support. But then you also have a group of, of um, people like younger generation who are almost reclaiming that term in a similar way, not to the same degree or the same gravity as the N word, but in a similar vein where they're kind of reclaiming it. Mm, I would really strongly disagree with that characterization yeah um indian arose on social media originally was an acronym for not dead native so it was sort of a play on on words it was a play on on the term indian and then was sort of being asserted in that way and i i would i would be really cautious about drawing comparisons um you know in in that way but i think it's um it's it's become shorthand but it's also it's also sort of an informal general um you know uh, inclusive term, because we we absolutely you know do want people to refer to us by um, the names that we call ourselves, and even that is actually quite difficult because uh, some of us will use names that were given to us and say that those are our traditional mm-hmm. names. For example, um, some people will identify as Cree, but Cree isn't a Nehiao term. Cree is mm-hmm. Cree is an external term, but it's still understandable, right? It links it links together. Um, many, many different peoples who have uh, quite unique names for themselves. And so, you know, just saying that you're Cree links you to a wider group of people. And that's fine, too. And if you were to use the the individual names that everybody uses for themselves, you'd be sitting there naming like, you know, uh, Nehiao, uh, Nehithao, you know, just like so many different, there's so many different names, Inu, Iu. Um, so I think, you know, in a sense, we need wider terms when we want to talk uh you know, when we want to talk about solidarity, when we want to refer to the commonalities of Indigenous experiences. But, um, you know, when we want to be specific, then we, we have a host of other names to turn to. But um, I don't I don't really see, you know, like, people can get mad about it and stuff. Uh, but it's a term that is in use, and that the youth brought forward, and they brought it forward, I think, in a good way. And so I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna tell younger people how to Yeah, and it's it's really interesting too. Like, I mean, when we talk about even the word indigenous, it's a colonizer term Mm. as well, right? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a colonizer term in the sense that it's a, I mean, Mm -hmm. it's an English word. There's translations in other languages. It's being applied. Uh, just the whole notion of indigeneity is problematic because it sets us apart, and uh, you know. It, it, it defines us by being colonized, right? So on the other hand, we do need terms to talk about each other. And, and this is why I think it's so interesting is because Indigenous peoples, like a lot of um, marginalized groups, have so many names applied to us uh, without mm-hmm. a consultation. Indigenous is one of the terms that actually was brought forward um, as an, as sort of a, a catch-all term by Indigenous peoples at the international level when there were discussions about how, how do we talk about, you know, globally 
you know, us as a, as a, as a, as a, as many peoples. So I wouldn't say it's completely top down, but, um, but it is frustrating because these terms over time become co-opted. This is, you know, Aboriginal was the term that was in use when mm -hmm. I first wrote that book, but it has now become so distasteful to use because of the way that it has been used to sort of pay lip service to justice without actually changing anything. Well, we'll call you Aboriginal now, but we're going to continue to oppress you. And Indigenous is going the same way. Um, I, I, I suspect that in a couple of years, people are going to refuse to use the term because it has become so meaningless and co-opted uh, by our oppressors that we're just not going to want to use it. Anymore. Yeah. And I would agree with that as well, because uh, kind of to uh, rewind a little bit, it is a term that it, it's shrouded in colonization, right? Like the, in order to be indigenous to the place, it, it kind of implies that there are colonizers here. Like there needs to be that contrast. There has to be other people here. Mm -hmm. So, um, sorry, I'm, my migraine brain is kicking in. <laughs> so, That's okay. so when, when we use the term indigenous, it, it, again, like it's, it's not as good as a term like, say, Teltan or Casca or Cree mm -hmm. or, or Métis. Um, it is one of those words where, yes, it is more acceptable. Uh, and it is definitely, at least right now, the preferred word. But it's not I, – I don't see it lasting for very long. And, and that's kind of the nice thing about um, – about names is you can update them, right? And you, you, you kind of have to. Again, we're we're dancing around names, like I said at the beginning of the podcast. Like, mm -hmm. it's not fun, but we kind of need to open up the space for people to be more comfortable and more confident asking about names. Um, mm -hmm. And that's what I would. That's what I've been recommending for people to do, right? And I mean, I. I would assume that's what most Indigenous people are recommending people to do, is to just ask, you know, where are you from, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And 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 also just, this is the thing that, that sort of bothers me too, is a lot of a lot of people asking about names, they want the name to yeah. rule them all, you know, the one name to rule them all. And they don't want it to change, and they don't want to have to learn, learn new terms. And I mean, these are the same people who you know, refuse to, to use people's pronouns and crap like that anyway, right? So um, the fact is, is that whatever terminology is being used, there's not going to be one term that's acceptable to all people at all times. And the terms are going to change depending on, you know, how they're used and, and, you know, how we feel about them. So people have to get into the habit of recognizing that language evolves and, and whatever term that they're familiar with and comfortable with may not be the term that's, that they're going to need to use mm -hmm. a year from now, even, you know, and uh, if people are not willing to, to be comfortable with that and open to that experience, then uh, we've got some problems because I, we should be reaching for that time. This is, this is the other thing that bothers me. People want to jump ahead. They, they don't want to do any of the work. They don't want to actually solve any of these problems. And they want to jump to the future where we no longer refer to each other by names, you know, um, for, for one another, like by groups, because mm -hmm. we're all so equal. But we can't get there by just jumping and not using terms and pretending that, that you know, that these differences aren't, uh, you know, legislated and imposed and enforced. So I think trying to strip names of, of their power 
uh, in that way is just a way to avoid talking about colonization. So that's the other the other aspect that I'm I'm always leery about when people are like, well, can't we just can't we just call each other human? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And I I mean, not I this is this this episode is not about the white paper. I have a completely different episode planned for the white paper, but that's <laughs> that's essentially like that hits the nail right on the head with like what they wanted to do with the white paper, right? Where they were just like abolish status, oh, yeah. you know, like we're all equal here. <laughs> it's just like yeah, let's let's not address the the you know, the foundational inequalities that exist. Let's pretend that everything is fine and we're all yeah. equal. Yeah. That's that's basically uh, <laughs> sums up the entire attitude of of all yeah, colonizers. Yeah, exactly. If you just like put the the horse blinders on or you close your eyes, you're like, "Yep, yeah, it's mm. fine. Everything's fine." <laughs> like the the meme with yeah. the the dog in the burning house. Have you seen that meme where he's yeah, oh, yeah, everything's this fine. This is fine. <laughs> it's very COVID. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, and, and I mean, I guess that's that's kind of the perfect, the sorry, the why can't we just call ourselves human? It's the perfect segue to kind of just mm-hmm. transition over into um, talking about how we call settlers or what we call settlers. And I mean, like I said, mm-hmm. my preferred term is obviously settlers as uh, my listeners know and as you can obviously tell I've been saying settlers um and mm-hmm. I guess uh you know obviously like you and like you've said in your book we don't we're not here to antagonize and um that's not a, a word choice that should be taken as antagonistic but <laughs> I do also want to note that if anybody has listened to my podcast for you know, the past eight episodes, because I've been doing this for so long. Um, you probably have noticed that I also do use the word colonizer. Um, and mm-hmm. I choose to use that word strategically, dependent upon values, attitudes, actions, and goals. So I'm, I'm, I guess I'm curious, like, what's your, what's your take on that? Because like, I personally, like, I'm not, I'm not here to antagonize allies or or people who are I guess neutral but I'm also not somebody who is like pussyfooting around colonization or people who are actively still participating in it um so what's your take Mm -hmm. on that like what what's your word choice how's your word choice evolved or or anything since writing your book yeah yeah it definitely has evolved so in in the book I talk a lot about why I don't use the term white um, and I've completely changed mm-hmm. my view on that. I think that naming, we're still, we're still really at the point where yes. we have to talk about whiteness and white supremacy and the way that that's constructed. Um, and, you know, and the, the fact is, is that, um, you know, within white supremacy is the right to never be named, mm-hmm. to be considered the norm, the, the, the baseline, mm-hmm. and everybody else is named because they are not the main, mm-hmm. they're not the mainstream, Right. And so that resistance to being named comes through in hostility towards any term that we want to apply. And I find that it's so sneaky. You know, white people will try to fold themselves into different groups. So they want to be identified as Canadian. Um, yeah, okay. okay. <laughs> you know, they want to be identified as, you know, if well, if, if, if we're settlers, then everybody, 
everybody's a settler. No. Everybody who came here is a settler. But that also obscures, you know, the responsibility and, and um, the benefits that they mm-hmm. receive from white supremacy. There are just all of these ways that people want to identify that actually um, obscure identity. And so do we need to always be so clear about who we're talking about? It really depends on the context, right? If I'm specifically speaking to white supremacy, I'm going to talk about white people. And that, you know, in many cases includes people like myself who who are white mm-hmm. appearing, um, even if we belong to, you know, different different groups that experience marginalization, not based on our skin color, that whiteness that that I have and that whiteness that a lot of other people have. Um, it's not something that you choose. It's something that's sort of, you know, it's something that is chosen for you because whiteness expands. Whiteness chooses who to include mm-hmm. and who to exclude. And you don't necessarily have power over that, but you absolutely have to name it and acknowledge it if you're going to address white supremacy. And and for me, the whole issue here is colonization um, it requires white supremacy to exist. It requires anti-blackness to exist. It requires... Um, you know, war, what Andrea Smith, who is a yeah. problematic for so many ways, but calls Orientalism, right? The, the, the sort of the logics of, of uh, you know, of, of genocide, slavery and war, um, all of those things fit together. And so names are powerful because when we can name things, we can sort mm-hmm. of see the shape of them and we can start to address them. And because this is, this is something that I think we know innately as human beings, words mm-hmm. can also obscure. And so, yeah, I think I think we switch up our terminology as needed when, when the terms become defanged and no longer um, evoke a response or get people thinking, then we change them. And uh, it's, it's hilarious because right after, uh, right after Black Panther came out, everybody mm-hmm. was saying colonizer and be, and I swear before that it was, it was like a bad word, right? People, people were like, no, nah, I'm not going to mm-hmm. say that. That's too strong. Mind you, there were people back then who were like, no, nah, I'm not going to use settler. I'm going to just say colonizer. Um, so it, it, it didn't, you know, it didn't start something, but it made it more popular. And all of a sudden people were more comfortable with that term colonizer. And I think that that is powerful because it reminds us that that is the relationship that continues yeah. to exist. So let's let's address yeah, it. Yeah, I, you know? I 100% agree because I mean, you, <laughs> so social media. I mean, social media is a minefield. First of all, <laughs> I, I I have yes. to stay off of it as much as possible because it really does impact my mental health. But um, I have mm-hmm. I have a a few favorite um, indigenous creators that I do follow on there, and one of them. Um, I shoot, I should have written down uh, his name. Um, his his Instagram handle is Modern Warrior. Um, yeah, so okay, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's like a rock climber and oh my gosh, he's amazing. Um, but he, he has this shirt that says, hey, colonizer. And like, I just, I mm-hmm. love how he wears it just so boldly. Um, it's incredible. But um, yeah, I 100% agree. Like if we're again, if we're going to dance around these terms, like we're never going to be able to have a proper conversation and address these things. Like we can't continue to sweep things under the rug and pretend that colonization hasn't occurred here or isn't still occurring here. Again, like mm-hmm. I, I already said this earlier in the podcast, the Indian Act is a literal piece of colonial legislation and it's still being used. Like, And people are like, oh, yep. we're in a post-colonial era. No, we're not. <laughs> 
Yeah. Tell me when, tell me yeah. the year that happened because I'll, I will be able to present so much evidence yeah. to the contrary. And that's the thing is everybody who wants to make that claim, please tell me the year that it stopped so that we can, we can actually look together at, at, <laughs> that year yeah, and see exactly. if you're right. There's like, there's no clear delineation between when all this happened in the past and when suddenly Canada was like, oh, you know what? Actually, we gave all the land back and, you know, we're treating you guys mm. fairly. And <laughs> so, yeah, yeah I, yeah. I 100% agree. And so I, I initially wasn't comfortable using the word colonizer um, until I would say about a year ago, just because, again, it was. It, it is um, an antagonizing word, but it I, I'm 100% on board with just, again, calling people out. And I was like, well, I feel like I can't properly call people out if I'm saying settler because it's lumping the people who are allies and who are n- neutral. Um, although, again, being neutral is supporting the status quo. So, like, yeah. if you're neutral, you're still <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> you're not neutral. No, you got, that's the choice. Yeah, but yeah, um, exactly. But, you know, you know what I mean? Um but yeah. it's lumping those people in with the people who are, you know, Stephen Harper, <laughs> who are who are actively mm-hmm. promoting. Well, I mean, he's not prime minister anymore, but like you trying to pass bills that are converting reserve land into privately owned land to be bought and sold. And anyway, um, but yeah, I, I guess so. We are we are running low on time. I wanted to also also point out that I loved in the book how you you also clarified and we kind of touched on this a little bit that the descendants of black slaves aren't settlers and i wanted for you to explain that to the listeners and just expand upon that because you know for people who maybe haven't heard that take um and it does it goes hand in hand with white supremacy and and all that jazz so if you can explain that you're a lot more articulate than i am so i'd love to pass the mic to you and just go for it yeah, this is a really complicated uh, discussion um, because the fact is is that people people want a term that they can cling to that 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 you know encapsulates their experiences. So, for example, you know, um, I, I will come across uh, white people who will say things like, "Well, my my parents escaped, uh, you know, came here because of World War II, or you know, encountered all this oppression. How can they be settlers? Are all refugees settlers?" And, uh, you know, and other people will say, well, you know, we came here, we didn't want to, but we came here because of colonialism uh, that was happening elsewhere. Um, you know, they might be East Asian families or whatever. So what, what do you call us, right? And the fact is, is that we don't have the precise perfect term, again, for everybody. Um, people will describe the relationships uh, between distinct groups and the lands that they're on in different ways. And some, you know, I've, I've, I've come across a lot of Indigenous peoples, too, who disagree with me. And say, you know, it is a binary. Everybody, everybody here is either indigenous or non-indigenous. They're indigenous or they're a settler, and they they won't, um, you know, they won't discuss groups that perhaps shouldn't have that term. But personally, from my perspective, um, and and this, I shouldn't even say my perspective because this this really comes to me from other thinkers. But uh, you know, the descendants of enslaved peoples are were never meant to benefit from white supremacy and colonialism. They were never meant to succeed or survive or thrive in any way. Um, You know, even when slavery was abolished, we have many examples here in Canada where uh, black families who were promised lands because they were loyalists and they supported the British crown against the Americans during the revolution. 
you know, they, they found themselves uh, in segregated, racialized situations facing oppression, just like, you know, they, they did back in their homes. And so I think it's important that we clarify who we're talking about in any given situation. We can use binaries like Indigenous and non-Indigenous, um, as long as we acknowledge that for the most part, Indigenous, you know, is a, is a global term and many Black people are Indigenous, you know, so the, the our notion of indig- indigeneity is imbued with anti-blackness because we'll talk about indigenous peoples in, in different continents, but quite often everybody just sort of skips over Africa because yeah. we don't know enough, right? We're like, well, we don't know. So we don't know who's indigenous mm-hmm. and who's not, right? So we avoid difficult discussions. But, you know, what do, what do you do? How do you talk about people who have come here because of the kinds of... Um, ongoing imperialism that Canada is a part of. You know, if, if we're part of a, a, a group of countries that so destabilize the, the economy, the lifeways, the ecologies of other countries and, and make it so difficult for people to live there that they choose to move here, are those people settlers? Um, are they benefiting from colonialism and white supremacy in the same way? No, not really. Um, are some of them settlers? Yeah, it really, really depends, right? It really depends. And people want to fold themselves in into the parties that feel innocent. They want, they want, they want to not feel implicated in any of that. So uh, there, there are good points there. There, there are histories there that um, we should be aware mm-hmm. of. There's nuance, but the fact is, is that we still need ways to talk about things. And so I think I think the terms need to change depending on what we're talking about. If we're talking about white supremacy, let's talk about whiteness. Let's talk about white people and how whiteness doesn't, again, you don't get to choose just because you are from a marginalized group elsewhere because you have been oppressed for your religion um, or, or your ethnicity or whatever. If you come here and you present as white, you're going to be treated differently. You are not oppressed in that way. Right. And people can be oppressed and oppressors. And this is the dichotomy that I think it shouldn't be so difficult to grasp. But just look at at, at Quebec. You have um, the Quebecois who experienced um, and, you know, in some ways continue to experience oppression at the hands of Anglos um, and yet want to absolve themselves of of their part in colonialism in this country and their relationship (laughs) with Indigenous peoples, which is not good. Oh, my God. It is not good. They can still be oppressors, uh, people who are of Irish background, I hate this so much, will talk about the oppression that they have faced, probably not directly, because it's usually the descendants of Irish people. So people who have been here for enough generations, they have no lived experience Mm -hmm. with that, that oppression in Ireland. But yes, they're they're right to talk about their oppression at the hands of the English. That doesn't mean that they're incapable of being oppressors here and you know like people want to absolve uh sir john a Macdonald because he was scottish and the scottish were oppressed and colonized but damn we can't absolve <laughs> like, him you can't <laughs> have you no, read his quotes no. like no. he's awful right so it's it's a messy discussion and the terms are are going to be contested because the terms are more than language the terms are trying to describe relationships and the fact is is that um there are many of us within Indigenous communities who participate in, in anti-Blackness unknowingly. I think that that's an important facet to bring in because, uh, you know, when people want to say, well, all Black people are settlers too, there's just so much history that is missing there. There's so much nuance missing there. Um, and 
so much alienation that happens because of that. We're driving people away. And the fact is, is that it would be so, so good for us to stop looking for recognition from the state, for us to stop asking white supremacy to acknowledge us and, and to fold us in and instead turn away from that and work with other groups who are experiencing oppression. And it's that's more difficult, I think, because then we have to address the harms that we do to one another. And then we start feeling that guilt, that that uh, that shame of not knowing our shared histories, of not showing our se- knowing our separate histories, of not knowing how we hurt each other, uh, as we as we all seek that recognition from the colonial white supremacist state. So um, I think I think we have to face those things as well. Uh, we have to address the harm that we do and build solidarity in ways that don't reify and back up white supremacy. And doing that is really, really difficult. But the terms we use are going to matter and they're going to change. And as we as we foster this solidarity with other groups, and I'm not just talking about black communities, I'm talking about all sorts of communities of color, different you know, um, ethnicities, we have to be open as well to calling people what they want to be called. You know, that that's an important part. Um, and I know people are people will jump in there and say, well, if a white person wants you to not call them colonizer or settler, shouldn't you afford them that respect? Well, <laughs> that's a little different because there's a power differential yeah. there. You know, there's a there's a, a massive power differential there. So do we have to uh, do we have to tiptoe around? No, but uh, we have to have complex and difficult conversations and that's never going to change. Yeah. And I, I mean, to, to kind of speak to what you just said about like, you know, if a white person doesn't want to be called white, if they find that offensive or if they don't want to be called a, con- a colonizer, if they find that offensive, unfortunately for them, it's all part of the conversation in terms of bringing, um, bringing out the truth of history, right? Like it's, it's not a matter of Mm -hmm. being offended at that point. Like it's a matter of bringing out the truth. Um, It's not the same as using a derogatory term. It's, it's literally just like, this is what happened. (laughs) And we're all, it's a relationship. It's not, it's not an identity. That's the thing is, you know, calling, you know, calling somebody a colonizer, calling them a settler um, is talking about the relationship to the land to the political processes that have been imported and and imposed, you know, this is why this is why I have a problem too with the idea of calling you know every every um, you know newcomer every migrant a settler because settlers when they came imposed their own legal orders they imposed their own social political orders over top of indigenous ones and whatever fear-mongering is out there newcomers don't do that they don't have the power to come here and suddenly start instituting their own laws and cultures they don't they are also expected to assimilate into that that wider white supremacist um you know sort of structure that exists and so not all of us benefit equally from whiteness or white supremacy they're you know talking about whiteness and white supremacy doesn't tell the whole picture either because there are also white people who don't benefit in the same way as other white people. And we can talk about that. We can talk about the ways in which um, different identities are marginalized or the, the different kinds of oppressions that we face. But I think 
what has been so difficult about this conversation about whiteness is is white fragility. And I see it a lot in the Indigenous community, um, unfortunately, because, you know, people like people like myself, I, I walk around and people see a white woman um, unless I signify in some way, you know, and 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 whatever. I So I can I can be a white woman, I can walk <laughs> around and be a white woman. And the kinds of oppressions that I have to deal with are not based on my skin color. They're based on other things. You know, the fact that I can't have my children educated in our language, the fact that, um, you know, we've we've lost so much of our access to lands and resources. All of those things are, are shared with other Indigenous peoples, but, but I don't get followed around the store the way that our darker, you know, kin do. And, and then you look at Black Indigenous peoples yeah. who are constantly invalidated mm-hmm. in their identities and told, you're not Native, you're Black, as though we can't be one more than one rule. thing at once. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and that is, that is exactly, it's pure anti-blackness because it is that, that notion that you are reduced as a human being to, to that one drop. Um, and, and, you know, they're questioned in ways that, uh, that white looking indigenous peoples aren't. So all of that to say, you know, whatever terms are used for us, rather than us seeing them as insults and ways to, um, exclude us, particularly when we're talking about whiteness, I think we just need to sit with it a bit and think about what it means because I, I do understand. I went through that process too, where it was jarring. I was like, what are you talking about? Like I'm native, I'm not white. Well, that <laughs> like to me now that sounds so ridiculous because um, it's, it's ignoring what people are saying about your experiences and how you go through the world. And that is going to change over time, but it's not now. And we can't skip ahead. We've got to do the dirty work of, you know, dismantling, colonialism, smashing the state, land back, <laughs> all of that, you know, reestablishing our kinship systems, honoring all human beings as non-disposable, mm-hmm. uh, bringing back our systems of justice, all of it, you know, putting things back into that good relational way, bringing back Miowitsetuin, Wakutuin, all of those, all of those things that we do to relate to, to one another um, and all of creation. And that, we can't we can't just escape yeah. that or jump over it by by ignoring these terms and getting all in our feelings when somebody calls us white or when somebody says hey why why don't you just accept black indigenous peoples why do you always question mm-hmm. their identity you know like instead of getting defensive about it sit there with it and think about it and mm-hmm. change it god damn it just yeah it's change very it. frustrating to me the um because you know to to kind of like i i guess i to expose like my naivete, is that how you pronounce naivete? Um, I, <laughs> I, I, I know, I've right? I written, like, but I couldn't. have I ever said that word? <laughs> um, yeah. I up until this past year hadn't really given uh, Afro indigeneity a, a thought, really. Like it wasn't something that had mm-hmm. ever really crossed my mind. Like, um, which is so bizarre because. Like, so obviously, um, like many indigenous peoples at this point, I am also mixed. Um, and mm-hmm. I'm, I'm mixed with European blood. Um, like my, my, my mom is, uh, I, I guess she's just a mix of everything, <laughs> you know, you know, <laughs> British, German. Seven, yep. seven flavors of European. Um, yeah. <laughs> so I, that's kind of the standard way that we've been taught to view like mixed indigeneity or um, 
mixed yeah, with white. Mixed with and white. so I just, I hadn't yeah. really thought yeah. of Afro-indigeneity until very, very recently. And so, but in the back of my mind, it was just not something that existed if, if that's and and I was so ashamed of that when I when that realization hit me that I was like obviously I knew that indigenous peoples in Africa existed um I had never questioned that mm-hmm. but it had never crossed my mind that you know there were mixed people here that were part black and I was just like why have I never sat down and thought about this and then as I started doing my research and started looking into this and all the anti-blackness and the community started like popping up on my screen and I was just like oh my god like the the amount of people like me who don't know about this who are perpetuating this like it just it rocked my world honestly yeah it's a deliberate mm-hmm. erasure too, because I mean, I was in my thirties when I started learning about um, black history mm-hmm. in Canada at all, because it's not something that's taught deliberately. deliberately so. And so, yeah, you have, you have uh, communities here in Alberta, black communities that no longer exist. Some of them because mm-hmm. people were driven out. Uh, but then when you realize like, for example, uh, Amber Valley is often brought up, but you, you start talking to older people about Amber Valley and they remember, they remember, you know, there was like an all, all black, uh, baseball team that used to whoop the, the white kids in the, in the neighboring towns. And so they oh, barred no. them from playing. Man, yeah. Doesn't that sound familiar? You know, like, but, but that's the thing is like, how, how could I live in this province and not know that those communities were here, that those those relationships existed, that there was intermarriage. Like that's in my backyard, literally yeah. in my backyard, and I didn't know that. And and that erasure is deliberate um, because the fact is, is again, we spend so much time looking to the state for recognition, mm-hmm. for approval, for justice. And in the meantime, we forget in our own generations, like the, this is like mm-hmm. two generations, right, of 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 erasure but we forget in that time all the work that was done to form relationships with other communities not just black communities you know there's there's a there's long history of uh of intermarriages and and just relationality between indigenous communities and chinese communities for example uh, on the west coast and you know every every location has its own specific history and geography and so the peoples that were coming together and and learning how to live t- together is going to be different depending on every uh every area that we talk about and where is that history people are trying to find it now but a lot of a lot of times we, we have lost some of it because the people who knew have passed and we didn't listen to them because we're so focused on survival which is you know i'm not saying that that's bad but i think if you have the opportunity now to start collecting those histories and talking to the people that still remain. And it is absolutely vital so that we understand that history and that maybe we can look towards those kinds of relationships in the past as models for relationships in the present, in the future, relationships that exist outside of the state. Um, and that's where we need to go. And if we don't, if we can't find that history or maybe in our area, we didn't have that history let's make history now. Let's, let's have those relationships. Let's talk to people that are coming here from Somalia that are coming here from Afghanistan. You know, these people come and they live on these lands too, and they're expected to assimilate and they're taught things about us that are wrong and terrible. And the only way we get around that is not, is not yelling at them. We got to sit with them. We got to break bread with them. We got to support them. Um, Just as we supported 
you know, the first newcomers here with the expectation that we're forming relationships that are, that are going to take us somewhere mm-hmm. into a better world, into a more just yeah, exactly. world. I, I 100% agree. It's, it, it all comes down to, again, like educating each other and having these conversations, but just the, the blatant lack of education um, and the refusal mm-hmm. to have conversations is what's holding us back at this point. And it's, it's getting, it's already out of hand. It's not getting out of hand. It's been out of hand for a very long time. So we're just hoping that we mm-hmm. can fix that. And um, I do notice, though, that I've kind of uh, I've hit my my allotted time, and I don't want to keep you away from your kids for any longer than than I have to. <laughs> so, but I mm-hmm. wanted to thank you so much for coming onto the podcast. Um, I'm very excited. I think it it went it, it surpassed my expectations, honestly. Um, <laughs> so I'm very excited about that but um yeah were there any any kind of closing words that you anything left on your heart that you wanted to say or any other things before I before Mm -hmm. I cut you off there sure yeah I think I think that um often when terminology is brought up it's sort of seen as the starting point for a conversation like let's come up with the right terms if we have the right language to speak to one another and you know, within within a like a Métis perspective, words are powerful. Words are 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 important, but not because uh, they just exist. Words are transformational. Words can actually change things. Words can alter things. So you you need to be careful about what you say, but you also have to follow through with action. And if people just stop at trying to find the right terms, I want to be polite, so I want to use the right terms. That is just not even scratching the surface of what needs to be done or understood. It's it's really, I would even prefer people just skip that altogether and get down and dirty mm-hmm. and start doing the work and figuring out how to support Indigenous peoples and how to exist in solidarity and how to escape this vicious system. <laughs> okay, Because the fact is, is that other than a very small percentage of human beings, the systems that we live under, it's killing all of us. It's like literally, I'm not being you know, I'm not using hyperbole here. It's literally killing us all. And, and we know it. And we spend so much time sitting here hating one another and being divisive um, and, and not working in solidarity instead of, you know, again, smash the state, destroying capitalism, bringing down colonialism, um, you know, in the hopes that maybe if we behave, we're going to be patted on the head and, and rewarded in some way. But I think, what really needs to happen is regardless of the terms we use for one another, we need to be doing that work. We need to, we need to not just uh, put language out there without following through with our intentions. And so I also want people to hold one another accountable um, and particularly in those political uh, positions. I don't care how, how nicely you speak. I don't care the promises that you make and the, the commissions you start and the inquiries you you uh you create but if you're not following through if you're not actually doing anything about it then you're you're actually making things worse because you're you're letting people think that by using that right word by saying the right thing that change is going to happen change doesn't happen unless it unless we make it happen so um i just don't want people to be stalled on this one point i I want them to to realize that yeah it's an issue it's an issue we need to think about it's an issue we need to talk about because it does impact us individually and collectively but uh but we really need to be spending that time thinking about what are we going to do how are we going to be good ancestors right now yeah let's not let's not get hung up on 
on the little tiny details when the huge issues are the ones that we need to get to work on, right? Mm-hmm. And I <laughs> I love how you're like, it doesn't matter if you start a commission. If you don't, if you don't do it, I'm like, yeah, we love shitting on Trudeau. <laughs> like, it's not even that's the thing like it's not even Trudeau you know like Harper Harper, like every single government you know every single government has made promises about how they're going to make things better for indigenous people and they get a freaking blanket Mm -hmm. or they get a spirit name and they get shit (laughs) that we don't even give to our our disconnected youth you know they get all of this like accolades and stuff like can we please stop applauding could we please stop blanketing these people can we please stop honoring them until they actually follow through because I am sick and tired of watching these people gather our, our, our gifts and our accolades. Like they're like, they have some sort of personal museum collection. If I see Carolyn Bennett with one more damn beaded earring or anything like that, like, no, make these people like in the old days, when we had leaders who, who, who didn't follow through, who were no good, they weren't our leaders anymore. And they would be stripped of their possessions. So can we go and get all that stuff back from these people and say, you know what, you didn't follow through, we're going to go give this to our youth. I would, I would love that. That can would be amazing. That, honestly, I, I 100% yeah. agree. It's, it's ridiculous at this point, the amount of um, like showboating that Trudeau does. I mean, yeah. they all do, but like, especially Trudeau, like his little photo op at the residential school grave with a teddy bear. It's like, you you needed a camera crew to do that? Really? Yeah, you needed your yeah. cameras? I mean, we we want to we want to encourage them. We want we want to be like, yes, you're, you know, thank you for doing this. And, you know, because the fact is, indigenous peoples are incredibly generous. But at some point, we got to say, nope, you get a failing grade on this. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he, he got a failing grade the moment that he, uh, well, you know, I, I, again, I don't want to hold you forever, but like, I'm ashamed because like I was, I had such high expectations for him when, when we voted him in, in, in 2016 and his campaign promises were so awesome. And then, uh, yeah, the moment that he was like, nope, you guys can't have your veto. And I was like, what? What do you mean we can't have our veto? <laughs> that was that was your platform. And this is this is why so many indigenous peoples refuse exactly. to vote too. I mean, not just because the choices are, are poor, because they always are, but because participating in the system gives legitimacy to yeah, the system. Exactly. Right? Like voting voting somebody like Trudeau, voting anybody in tells them that uh, that, you know, like, yeah, you go ahead, you do your thing and if you screw up, oh, well, it's just, you know, that's that's okay. But Canada is never going to address the elephant in the room, which is the fact that they don't have any claim to Indigenous lands yes. resources in this country. And that is the basis of this country. So we cannot expect that the government, that the Supreme Court of Canada, that any level of political um, power is going to ever mm-hmm. address that because it undermines the the reality and, and the existence yeah, the of Canada sovereignty itself. that they've just that they've just taken right it's it's illegitimate sovereignty and um if they address it then it what then what yeah then they disappear (laughs) i wish i wish it was that easy if we could just get them to admit it they'd uh yeah no they they would admit it and then it would just be like i have a feeling they would admit it and then it would just become even more more totalitarian because they 
Yeah, well, they did. They did in Delgamook. You know, they were like, oops, turns out we don't have title over this, you know, this huge area of BC. Let's start the modern treaty claims process, which has been a gong show from the beginning. So, no, the solutions are not going to come from pieces of legislation passed by Mm -hmm. the Canadian government. It's not going to come from voting in uh, a new political party or creating a new one. Like, even if we had like an Indigenous People's Party, we would still be participating. Yeah, we'd still in be that validating system. colonialism. Still be, exactly. Yeah, yeah. You can't. I mean, I know other people disagree on this, but I really don't believe that you can change a system from mm-hmm. within. The only thing that you can do with something so entrenched and so based on hierarchy and oppression is absolutely yeah. destroy it and build something else. And the and Indigenous peoples have um, so many, you know, such such a diversity of blueprints for for that something else. So. We don't need to look to European models for liberation. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we can we can look to other indigenous struggles. We can look to the struggles of other marginalized people around the mm-hmm. around the world who have fought against colonialism and oppression and and adapt yeah, exactly. that to our needs. Well, real militant here, but like for real though. No, I I one hundred I one hundred percent agree. I um I come off as very militant to a lot of people. Um, in that like I I. I always say it like you can't decolonize with colonial tools and there's no whenever I've talked to people and they're like oh you should run for office you should you should you know participate in politics and I'm like why that's a colonial system like that doesn't that's yeah I'm like that's 100% against what I what this whole process is that I'm talking to you about like you 100% missed the mark (laughs) yeah and yet you know if somebody offered you that senate seat with that sweet lifetime you know, pension, that'd be real hard to turn oh, down. It'd be so real easy to think money. about how you could use that money for your, for your I community know. and stuff. Right. Like, but that's how they get you. That's See, how they get yeah, you. That's... When you, you know, you value that kind of stuff because money does make life easier, but that's the whole mm-hmm. point of capitalism, right. Is just to wear you down. So they, you know, you no longer have relationality, you no longer have uh, mm-hmm. self-sufficiency. You don't have that connection with the land. And so you replace it with uh with you know yeah buying it just kills you inside like capitalism just literally kills you inside it kills all your connections to everything and I've definitely noticed that I've uh, just having been raised in like a capitalist society I do struggle like when my mental health plummets like one of my first reactions Mm -hmm. is like I want to go buy something like you know yeah yeah and and we can know it we know it's happening and it, but it doesn't mean that you can just mm-hmm. step outside of it. It's, it's just like when people talk about having decolonized minds and being decolonized and stuff. I just, I just gotta sort of shake my head because, mm-hmm. like, how are any of us? How do any of us know, even know what that is? You know, how, how can we possibly think with decolonized minds when we've been so yeah. deeply colonized? And, and that's not. I'm not saying that as an insult. I'm just saying that as a reality. My hope is that, you know future generations it won't even be my kids uh, it's just not things are not changing fast enough but future generations just won't even be able to understand how we think because they'll be so far beyond that but we we can't just think ourselves out of this we have to we have to change things uh in a in a really tangible way and even then what we're doing there is building a future where capitalism and extractive colonialism um, aren't the structures that are governing lives anymore but sadly like we're we're going to go to our graves with that being the structures that we mm-hmm. were formed by and that's just how it is so 
it's not that I, it's not that I don't want liberation for myself in that way. I just know that there's only so much we can do. There's only so much we can opt out of before we have to really come together to make systemic changes. And then those who will reap the benefits of that are the future generations. And that's definitely something worth fighting. Yeah, for. no, exactly. I mean, I, again, sorry, I'm, I, I ramble, so I've already taken up even more of your time. Um, one, one more oh, thing. That's, okay. um, <laughs> that's my fault too. I'm a very talkative person, and I, I, you don't know this. My listeners know this. Last uh, two weeks ago, I got I hit myself in the throat with like a metal pipe. So yeah, it's a long story. Oh I won't gosh. take up more of your time, but like, um, I haven't been able to talk very much. So like now that my throat is feeling better, I'm like, blah, 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 like hold me back. Yeah, yeah. Don't overdo it. Um, so. Anyway, like we were having this conversation in one of my classes in in school, and um, I was, I, I feel like my my classmates, I feel bad for them because like I I often come off as like very pessimistic sometimes, and I'm like I'm not I'm not pessimistic. Mm-hmm. I'm just I'm trying I'm very realistic. I really don't believe that I am going to see any major change in this lifetime, and like you know, my my professor was like, oh, but just think of all the changes that we've already seen. And I was just like, uh, and yeah, I was like, um, okay, like, (laughs) so what, like, what, what change? Um, but I, I do firmly believe I'm like my grandchildren or my great grandchildren, like they, I'm working for them, right? Like I'm not working for myself Mm -hmm. at this point. Like I've already come to the I've already come to terms with the fact that like, yeah, I get followed around. I get kicked out of stores um, unless I'm with like my partner who is a, a white man, <laughs> um, you know, mm-hmm. and it, it happens and it's humiliating and it's degrading. And I still like, it's, I still cry when I get kicked out. Right. Cause it's embarrassing. And like, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. it's not going to change for me. And so I've, I've already, come to terms with that and I mean like I, I sound like I'm about to cry right now I'm trying not to um as I'm like I've come to terms with it <laughs> um <laughs> I've come to terms with it yeah it doesn't mean that no your soul's it's, I'm definitely not it. It just right like I it still yeah. hurts um but like I what I want is to know that like if I if I have if, if I'm lucky enough to have children I want the world to be better for them and I don't want them to have to worry about mm-hmm. that kind of thing so like I do the work for them not because I know that like the people are going to listen to me or that the people are going to care more about me or like my generation because it's it's not going to change in the next year or two years maybe in 10 years but by then like it, it's going to be the younger generation who's <laughs> running the stores and stuff so mm-hmm. like <laughs> you know you you know what I mean so I'm 100% on board yeah. with you. And I, again, like I said, I feel bad for my classmates because like, I feel like I'm like Debbie Downer over here. Just like, I'm just trying to keep my opinion to myself, but you asked for my opinion and no, I don't think it's getting better. Right. Like, <laughs> like, no, no. And, and, and it, that's not like pessimistic, realistic. I don't know. But um, I think, I think part of it too is, man, we really got to know our history because this is this is where you start to fool yourself into thinking you're making major changes or that the government's yeah. really like breaking new ground. But go out and read those Arthur Manuel yes. books, uh, Reconciliation yes. Manifesto, things like that, because he goes through the history of Indian organizing in Canada and names names. And you start looking at that, you're like, gosh, 
this guy was a minister at the time when they were they were fighting this and now he you know now he's like a bigger mucky muck you know like you can see and this is why it's important too to listen to your elders when they're talking about what they did because you know we just like many young people look at look at older people and think oh yeah you know they they didn't do anything radical in their lives a lot of those old people did some really radical stuff and they they they've seen you know what happened they they saw how they were co-opted they saw how the money flowed the funding came and the and the cause was undermined and if you don't know that history you're going to you're going to you're going to fall for the yeah. same tactics so you know and not just our own history like this is why it's so important to build that solidarity with other communities because the the history and the theorizing that other groups have done particularly black thinkers um is so key to not just replicating mistakes and not uh, falling for the same traps that have been used for generations to to divide us and to undermine uh, radical movements, because you know the the knowledge is out there, the warnings are out there. You can read stuff that were that was written by people, you know, like now, like seventy years ago, longer, and and you go, oh shoot, they're using the same tactics, they just use slightly different words, not even sometimes. So you know, it's not that I want young people to be. Uh, pessimistic or think there's no point but i think we have to be strategic and we have to we have to look at the those those lessons that history has to tell us so that we can do things in better ways we can avoid those pitfalls yeah i i 100 agree it's um i just recently like i said uh with the advent of like the afro indigeneity discoveries and stuff like that i over the past year i've started to read more into um like black authors and stuff like that um mm-hmm. and i just i'm still just delving into it and uh like our our shared history together and stuff like that and it's just it's like what an eye opener you know and so i yeah. i try to tell as many people as i can in terms of um like when i'm talking to people at school or, or um I don't know. I know for my episode two, I had uh, four indigenous authors and then one black author. And the, this next uh, podcast for decolonizing your bookshelf, I have, I think, three black authors planned. Um, but mm-hmm. my goal is mostly just to be like, yeah, like our histories are hella intertwined. Like, <laughs> like it's crazy right so you can't talk about decolonization or land back if you're not also looking at black history um at least you you can't you can't do like yourself justice right because you don't know the full history Mm -hmm. and you don't you don't have like a full 360 view of all the different ideas and and everything that happened um and just to kind of speak to what you what you just brought up like some of the ideas that these, um, I mean, I don't know if the word philosopher, like, I don't know if I could use that, that maybe it's not the appropriate word, but some of like the movement leaders, um, Mm -hmm. some of the things that they say and some of the, it's, it's incredible, you know? So, um, but yeah, Mm -hmm. for my next, for my next, uh, decolonizing your bookshelf, like I've got three books that I'm excited to share and I'm like, yeah, but anyway, okay. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I've I've taken up your time. Um, That's okay. Don't apologize. I could have cut you off at any point, but yeah, let's, <laughs> yeah. let's end here. And okay. Well, yeah. thank you so much. I'll then, go ahead. I'll pause the recording and then we can go ahead and say our byes, but I'll let you say bye to everybody first. 
All right. Can I ask him in a while, Mr. Hay, for listening, if you're listening and um, yeah, just go out there and challenge, challenge people. Just make, make sure you have those uh, uncomfortable discussions. And if somebody brings up something, a term or, uh, or some history that makes you uncomfortable, if you're in the indigenous community, uh, just take some time to sit with it and think about it rather than, uh, than lashing out to, I think, I think we, we need to be having discussions with communities outside of our own. But we also have to have those those discussions with our own people who are being excluded um, because of white supremacy and anti-blackness. And that's something that we, we have to acknowledge, even though it does make us feel awful. It just it doesn't mean that uh, the Indigenous struggle is not valid. It just means that just like back in the day when those when those men were telling our women, uh, let's worry about sexism once we've <laughs> we've dealt with racism. Okay, right around the time of Bill C thirty one, they were they were telling that's why that's why the the Native Women's Association in Canada had to start. That's mm-hmm. why so much women organizing had to happen. They said no, no, no. Let's talk about sexism later. No, intersectionality tells it's us we can together. deal with it all, and that came from a black thinker. So let's let's mm-hmm. acknowledge that and uh, and implement yeah, it. it. We can. Okay, and uh, to my listeners, I will talk to you in just a moment. All right, everyone. So that was my first interview. I hope that you enjoyed it. It was really long because I kept forgetting to wrap it up. I'm a chatterbox. (laughs) Also, I'm kind of toying with the idea of starting a separate podcast Instagram page instead of using my personal one. I know a bunch of you have already followed my personal one, but social media is very stressful for me. So I'm wondering if I should deactivate that one in favor of like a little modest one that we can start like a fresh little community. (laughs) It's tempting. Maybe I'll run a poll on my Instagram stories. So if you follow me on there, please be sure to check my stories this week and participate in the poll because I want the healthiest thing for me and the easiest thing for you guys. Anyway, so today we had a chance to talk about the importance of names, which names are acceptable and which ones aren't. You got to hear Chelsea and I also discuss titles for settlers and addressing white privilege as well as why descendants of black slaves can't be settlers. Of course, I'm going to take this time again to remind you that the links to Chelsea's book are in the show notes. Her book, Indigenous Rights, is the book I recommend to everyone starting in decolonization and land back discussions. It's a great primer, and I'm excited that some of you have already purchased it. And of course, a big Masi, a big meta, a big thank you to Chelsea for coming on the podcast. Anyway, that's all I have for you today. If you've made it this far, don't forget to take care of your heart, mind, body, and spirit. Decolonizing yourself and the world is tough, but I see you out there working. Masi, meta, thank you. Now go smudge yourself. Okay, bye.